Wide open. Catch by Over the middle on a one-handed grab. Caught by Chase. Oh my goodness, what a grab. Double team. Higgins has got the ball. That's intercepted. Only someone like Brady and Evans can this actually be caught. Hello and welcome back to Secondary Sideline. I am your host, Tara Gillespie, and this is episode 9, the wildcard round. And in light of the wildcard round, I thought I'd publish this episode three weeks after the games occurred. You know, just really keep people on their toes for the sake of the name. I love the playoff season because it centers more focus on each team. And as we've been talking about recently, playoffs inspire plays unlike anything you'll see in the regular season. Six games this weekend, all six were extremely riveting, or at least had one highlight worth talking about, and I appreciate all the teams for giving me something to talk about as it makes for a great secondary sideline episode. Now, before we get into that, I do want to touch a little bit on the DeMar Hamlin situation. I think that even if you don't watch football, you probably heard about this because it's unlike anything anyone has ever seen before. Almost 10 minutes of CPR was required and an ambulance came out of the field. And when I watched this live, I almost watched about two hours of the updates afterwards because like I said, it was completely abnormal and shocking. And there's just a couple things that I want to talk about regarding this. So first, what happened? DeMar suffered cardiac arrest after hitting T. Higgins. It was a good, clean hit, and Hamlin just stood on his feet before quickly collapsing to the ground. Apparently, T. Higgins has been receiving hate for the matter, but that's obviously just so unnecessary because it was nothing more than a freak accident. After he collapsed, the game kept cutting to commercial, obviously because this is unprecedented and the network probably wanted to protect the privacy of the situation at hand. But from all the clips that we did see, there was a lot of emotion. Josh Allen crying, a lot of the Bills players crying, and the Bengals just staring in complete shock. The broadcasters on live kept repeating the same things like, we hope this young man is okay and this is so shocking and it just seemed very redundant. And as a viewer, all you want is new information, but as a broadcaster, I mean, what do you even say in that situation? Like, my natural instinct would be to come up with assumptions, but you can't do that on that wide of a platform. The NFL originally said that they'd give the teams five minutes to refocus, but that was just obviously not going to happen from the jump. Every Bills player is not going to play with the worry in the back of their head that their teammate is struggling with life or death. Also... Even with just a severe injury from a player, I feel like it's human instinct to be a little nervous to play and the worry that you'll get hurt or hurt someone else. Maybe football players are immune to that feeling after playing their whole life, but if I gave someone a season-ending injury, I feel like it'd be kind of hard to play with that physicality two minutes after. So after this designated five-minute rule, Zach Taylor walked over to Sean McDermott and talked to him for a bit, and then both teams went into the locker rooms. There was a lot of uncertainty, both of the condition of Hamlin and the future of the game. And during this waiting period, the broadcasters kept talking about how this game was so well anticipated and important to the playoff outcome, but that was in the back of everyone's mind because football became a secondary topic of interest and people really only cared about Hamlin. Burrow and some of the other Bengals players visited the Bills locker room and had another disclosed discussion, but it's speculated that they both demonstrated their want to call the game. The biggest controversy was the amount of time it took for the NFL to end the game, and everyone was saying that it was so irrelevant compared to the situation at hand. Everyone would agree that none of the players were in their mindset to play, so the game was officially called. Hamlin was transported to UC Medicine, the only level one trauma center in the area, and after the game was postponed indefinitely, many fans at the game stood outside the hospital because it felt wrong to just go home afterwards, which is cheesy, but also if I went to that game, I would be thinking about it nonstop for days after. Stephon Diggs and other Bills players visited Hamlin directly after the game's end as well. Hamlin received nationwide support, as we all know. His charity fundraiser had an original goal of 2500 and received millions of dollars. 
As for Hamlin's current state, he's been showing a lot of progression from the past week. When he gained consciousness, the first thing that he wanted to know was who won Monday night's game. He has been very active on Twitter, thanking everyone for the unconditional support and the, supporting the Bills for their Sunday game. And he has been discharged from the hospital, watching every single Bills game from then on. So that's just what I wanted to share with you guys, because obviously that's a freak situation and kind of makes the NFL look bad for taking so long to postpone that game. And I just feel like it was the biggest story to come out from maybe this whole season in general, so I couldn't not share that with you guys. But let's go back to the wild card, to the first game, Seahawks versus 49ers. We're starting with a team that blew the other out of the water. The 49ers beat the Seahawks 41-23, to and I think this game immediately differentiates San Francisco as one of the main contenders for a Super Bowl win. This is not to say that anyone really thought the Seahawks would advance far, but the Niners having this much of a lead in a playoff game sets the tone for the rest of the team's performance in upcoming games. Rookie quarterback Brock Purdy made his playoff debut with something slight, only three passing touchdowns and one rushing, no big deal. Purdy said that he didn't feel the additional pressure of performing the playoffs and didn't feel like the team needed to be more tense, they just had a job to do, which, let's be honest, that's what they all say. The 49ers have what I like to call the offensive holy trinity in Purdy, Christian McCaffrey, and Debo Samuel, three big names that always contribute to some accomplishment in each game. Samuel had a fantastic play in which he caught a short pass and took an additional 74 yards for a touchdown. The first half ended in a 17-16 Seattle score, but in the second half, the 49ers completely ran it off the board with a touchdown in the third and 18 points in the fourth. Regardless of their loss in this game, the Seahawks had an admirable season considering their offense was centered around Russell Wilson, who went to Denver this year. Geno Smith was a solid replacement and made a valiant effort, ending in a 9-8 record. Moving on to our second game, the Chargers versus the Jaguars. The Chargers and Justin Herbert dealt with another painstakingly close and heartbreaking loss against Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars, 31-30. to It was especially heartbreaking considering that at one point in time, the Chargers were up by 27. Despite the impressive comeback, I think the even more shocking aspect of this game is that Trevor Lawrence threw four interceptions in this game and still had unwavered focus and confidence to get his team back in the running. People were saying that they weren't impressed with his performance, but we've talked about this before. Anyone who can get past even two interceptions thrown in should be recognized, and throwing interceptions can completely throw off someone's game, so Lawrence should be recognized for getting himself out that hole alone and his personal stats can be put aside for this game. This game was determined by the game-winning kick from Riley Patterson, and I think any time a kicker is put in that position in a playoff game, 90% of the time it will result in a completed field goal kick. The Chargers should be used to this outcome, considering the exact same situation occurred last year for a qualifying playoff game against the Raiders, which they lost on a field goal as well. Jacksonville is going to be playing the Chiefs next week at Arrowhead, which is an unlikely matchup, but definitely going to be highly anticipated. Unfortunately, I think having that home advantage will give an extreme benefit to the already favored team, but what can you do? For our third game, we have the Bills beating the Dolphins 34-31. to This is the third Bills-Dolphins matchup we've seen this season. Two wins which went to the Bills and one of which went to the Dolphins. Buffalo started the game with two unanswered touchdown lead, 14-0 ending the first quarter. It seemed like Buffalo would be leaving with an easy win, yet the Dolphins were able to come right back with 17 points in the second, leaving the score... 2017 Bills to end the first half. Josh Allen did not perform his best, and the entire offense kind of seemed lacking until the Dolphins were up by four. And then I feel like Allen immediately woke up with his two passing touchdowns in the matter of three minutes. Wide receiver Cole Beasley, who caught one of those touchdowns, essentially said that playoff games don't need to be a blowout. The team just can't get complacent and needs to get one foot on the gas. And in that sense, the Bills did just that, winning a one-score game. 
I think if the Dolphins had a more equipped offense, this game would look entirely different. Quarterback Tua Tungvaluwa sat out, which thank God, because the last thing we needed to see was another head-related injury or scare. But I think in an alternate world with Tua, with members of the offense who are missing, Miami would have won the game. Moving on, the Giants beat the Vikings 31-24, which is honestly a surprising outcome to hear. The Vikings are unpredictable because they broke records in the regular season by winning 11 one-score games. That statistics has been used to flex the Vikings' talent, and I guess to some extent it is something to be proud of, but also those teams are not expected to advance far in the playoffs because in the postseason, scoring late in the game once is quite literally the easiest thing to do. This happened in the game, and the Giants were able to leave with the win and get their revenge as the Vikings beat the Giants 27-24 just a couple weeks back. Giants quarterback Daniel Jones got some much-needed recognition in his ability to convert numerous tough positions for a first-down play. Coach Kevin O'Connell worked with his defense to keep Jones in the pocket and hopefully limit his abilities, but Jones was unable to be stopped. Kirk Cousins didn't do so badly himself. He completed 31 of 39 passes. I didn't throw any interceptions, but the entire offense's red zone efficiency was lacking and they often had to settle for a field goal when a touchdown would have advanced them. Tight end TJ Hawkinson, who we remember just joined Minnesota's team midseason this year, played well and kept the defense moving along when they needed some last minute plays. Yet, we all know who the MVP of this game is. I don't even need to say it. Saquon Barkley, the man, the myth, the legend. 53 yards rushing, 56 yards receiving, two touchdowns. Need I say more? I don't think so. So we're going to move right on to our next and fifth game, the Bengals versus the Ravens, in which the Bengals beat the Ravens 24-17. to The amount of texts I got during this game was thoughtful. It was nice to know that people were thinking of me as my favorite team was playing, yet it was also the most frustrating thing I've ever endured in my life because, all right, no leaks, secondary sideline, but I watch the games on illegal streaming because my house doesn't have cable, and the streaming that I use is good quality, always gets me the broadcast, but it's always about one or two minutes late. So I texted my fantasy group chat when the game was 17-17 and the Ravens were two yards away from a touchdown and I said something like, not liking the look of this game right now and my cousin texted me back, what do you mean since he's up by six? And I looked at my phone, I was like, all right, what am I missing here? Like I couldn't be that behind. All of a sudden, Sam Hubbard comes out of the works for a 98-yard fumble return after the ball was knocked out by Logan Wilson. Then, at the end of the game, the Ravens had the opportunity to tie up the game, one pass and catch to score in a matter of seven seconds. And then my mom called me and started screaming and was like, wow, I can't believe the Bengals won. So, needless to say, the suspense of the game was relieved for me on Sunday night, but it was a great game regardless. Sam Hubbard and the defense definitely stepped up. That fumble return skyrocketed the win probability of the Bengals. Ravens quarterback Tyler Huntley played a great game outside of that fumble, but let's talk about that play during a bit because he was supposed to run a push sneak play, which would have been the most feasible option for that field position, but instead he tried to leap over everyone with the ball extended. And that basically decided the fate of the game because only executing that was a giant risk factor. It could have led to an outstanding and cool-looking play to rub it in the Bengals' face, or it could have led to the ball being easily knocked out, which is what happened. Only played for the Ravens this year on a one-year deal and was an ideal backup for the unit, Lamar Jackson. And I think if Lamar was playing this game instead of Huntley, the outcome wouldn't have drastically changed as Huntley performed well. Fans don't really know whether or not he will return because great expectations are put on Jackson. He is a franchise quarterback for sure. Yet for Huntley to lead the Ravens to a very close playoff win, to go from sitting on a bench or maybe not even on a team's roster seems a little bit unreasonable. At the end of the day, the game was a matter of inches and it could have led to an entirely different outcome. I definitely did not expect the game to be so close, but I'm hoping that the closest in the game is not indicative of the Bengals not progressing further. 
Next week, we have the highly anticipated Bengals against the Bills because, as we all know, the tragedy of DeMar Ham would postpone the game indefinitely. So we really don't know where these teams lie or who has a pass advantage in the regular season. Let's move on to our last and final game of the wild card, Buccaneers vs. Cowboys. The Cowboys beat the Bucks 31-14. to Although I've named the Cowboys as my dark horse, it's upsetting to see Tom Brady leave the playoff competition in this manner, especially because what the future holds for him is very much up in the air. Brady's two years in Tampa Bay are up, so the most logical move would be for him to retire, but that's unlikely due to his retirement and unretirement last year, also considering he divorced his wife because he didn't want to retire. In regards to the game, this game gave Brady his first loss against the Cowboys in quite some time. He had previously been 7-0 against the Dallas team. This is also Brady's first red zone interception in the Buccaneer uniform, which set the tone for the lack of competition early on in the game. Dallas, on the other hand, had five touchdowns, which broke Dallas's single-game postseason record. Prescott's touchdowns were caught by Dalton Schultz, C.D. Lamb, and Michael Gallup, and Prescott rushed for one himself. In those regards, Dallas was excelling, but their lack was actually in their kicker, Brett Maher. The kicker missed four out of five extra points, making him the first player in NFL history to accomplish that. Luckily for the Cowboys, the game wasn't really close enough that it mattered, but it was still kind of hard to watch. I also think that everyone in Chicago would still argue that Cody Parkey's double dunk of 2019 would still preside over that game 10 times out of 10. This is the Cowboys' first road win playoff since 1992, so it's been a long time coming for Dallas and it was well-earned, as the team will play the 49ers in the upcoming divisional round. Alright, on to prediction time. In all honesty, at the time of recording, the divisional round has already actually happened, but luckily for all listeners, I wrote down my predictions beforehand so you can hear my true thoughts on the matter. First, obvious pick, Bengals against the Bills. As a reminder, we don't really have an indication of who has the upper hand yet i'm still taking the Bengals 110 percent next up i said jacksonville because i didn't want to see another chiefs Bengals matchup i wanted something new or god forbid another bills chiefs matchup jacksonville shocked everyone against the Chargers, and i'd hope to see that surprise again in the divisional then i said the eagles over the giants which was a sad prediction yet most realistic saquon's comeback will unfortunately have to come to an end and it was a good run and satisfying to silence all the saquon haters but the Eagles' offense will just drive through the Giants' defense like no other. Lastly, of the 49ers over the Cowboys. The Cowboys was my dark horse, but I think the 49ers' offense, led by Mr. Relevant, Brock Purdy, Chris McCaffrey, and Debo, and their defense led by Nick Bosa and Alex Barrett, will preside over Dallas. So with that, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week for the Divisional.